In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi everybody, I'm Chad Bogleman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 380. That's right. Getting, uh, Ever closer to 400, um, so uh, yeah, we're no, we're not going to hit 400 by the end of this year. That'd be a miracle. Um, mm, there's not enough weeks in the year, so you were right. It would be a tr- <laughs> it would be a, it would be a true miracle. We'd, we'd be doubling up on episodes, and we'll be and we'll be lucky because we well, unless you're doing a spinoff, we won't have an episode next week. So we know we're only going to have like about probably best case scenario like five to six more episodes probably this year. <laughs> <laughs> the the, uh, the next episode of Green Lantern Green Arrow is in the works. Uh, I have spoken with my guest for that episode, and it's just a matter of getting him on on in time. Uh, I was the the plan was to have another episode of Green Lantern Green Arrow at least by the end of this year, or, or wrap the series uh, rather by the end of this year. But uh, I wanted to I wanted to do this the next issue very in a very specific way. So that's that's probably not going to happen uh, in terms of wrapping the. Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams stuff by the end of the year, but uh, at least I'm doing it the way I want to do it, so that's good. Go out on your own terms, baby. <laughs> All right, uh, don't call me baby. All right, so uh, <laughs> we are talking about Green Lantern, Black Stars issue one of the three issue miniseries. Uh, you 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 ready to do this, man? <laughs> but the honest answer is no. But I've only I've only read this once. This afternoon, I was going to read it again when I got home, but I said, I don't think I really want – I think I'll read it the second time when I have to flip through the pages again. <laughs> so I'm – right off the bat, and obviously I, on this level, at least Chad's in the – I think we're on the same page because since we both kind of assume this is, this actual episode, issue review is going to be relatively short, I think at least on some levels we must be on the same page. But I'm going to – I'm not going going into a lot of detail in this review for multiple reasons, because like a lot of the other crap we've been reading from Grant Morrison, you just kind of like you just do Jim from Taxi on a few most of these pages and go, <laughs> because you really, because like everything else, we start in the middle of everything and you have no idea what's one hundred, everything that's going on, and so, but yes, this is Greenland. I I did get I got the Hal Jordan cover. That's the alternate cover, right? I'm not sure. I I got the other cover, uh, the regular. But yeah, but that means that, that that. But the other one is the regular one, right? With all the action on it, the one with Hal Jordan yeah. standing is with with but controller moves or <laughs> moves face behind him is the old is the uh, variant. Um, so this issue is called Under the Sun at Midnight. Grant Morrison writers. Um, 
Zermatt Nico, artist, Steve Ola, Olaf, excuse me, colorist, Steve Wands, letterer, Liam Sharp did the cover, Derek Robertson and Diego Rodriguez did the variant cover that I have, Jessica Chen is the editor, and Brian Cun- is the associate editor, and Brian Cunningham is the editor. So this book begin. this book does a nice little countdown feature, starting with day four, working its way backwards, uh, I guess that will probably make sense too. <laughs> I mean, it kind of makes a little bit of sense, but either way. So we see uh, with Belzebeth and and Hal. I like the way it's interesting that she's actually walking down the. Is she she's actually no, they're both hovering. It looks like she was actually walking down the stairs. So they're both hovering down the stairs, and apparently we're on Oa. What's left of Oa, which has been just you know destroyed in what the atrocity wars. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, whatever the hell they are, which we probably won't get an entire explanation either. They're just talk- so she's telling Hal about how basically this was the ancestral home of the of of Control the Moo, of course, because it also was originally the home of the Controllers and the Guardians and the Zamorans, everything else. But now, pretty much all that's living there is like this grotesque collection of demons and entities and everything else that the Guardians kind of gathered to keep uh, keep like keep under control. To, to a certain extent, from completely wreaking havoc yeah. in the world and uh, in, in the rest of the universe, and I did try to look up some of these names to see if I could find what they meant. They didn't. I, I couldn't find anything, and that's already enough. More re- we know some of them are related either to uh, I'm guessing the inversions because they're related to the Ismalt, but other than but other other than that, so a really obscure, weird ass collection that Beelzebeth pretty much tries to appeal. Basically, she tries to appeal to them to first join her, and join their join Control the Mew in, in his in his cause. And of course, you know they kind of they kind of balk at first, and she pretty much you know rips one rips one apart and eats them. And that kind of gets the others to say, hey, you know maybe we should re-examine her proposition. Maybe it doesn't sound so bad after all. And even though that supposedly they are about unable to really leave. Leave Oa, but yet there's nothing that says that they basically can't take Oa with them. I think that's kind of where we we get something of to that effect in this uh, in this issue. And Hal's Hal's mostly along for the ride here. He literally is here and he's kind of like observing everything. He's he says a, he says a few things, but it's basically Belzebeth dictating everything here in in the agenda. Um, Hal and Belzebeth. You know, go back to their the Overmaster Zero, which is the Black Star flagship, and we find out that they're. And this that's supposed to be John Stewart, right? It's John Stewart, and that's Jessica, right? I thought it was Simon and Jessica. Oh yes, it could be. You're right. It probably is Simon and Jessica. Now that I'm looking closer, it actually looks like uh, it looks like Simon. Maybe it's just that mind that mental block I have about Simon. <laughs> To be fair, honestly, I didn't really I didn't notice Jessica at first. That's the reason why, or else it would make sense. Jessica and Simon as black stars. We also see what one what of the Tomars as, as a black star. We see Kilowog as a black star. Um, we find out that their next target is Mongol, and basically Belzebeth wants Mon- wants Warworld as a personal gift to give to the controller. And Hal's like, let me handle handle Warworld, and that's what we kind of see that uh, the you know, the demons of Yzmalt are burning and everything. And she made the point of saying, like what I mentioned before, that you know she made the night the night kind betray everything they ever believed in, and trapped on dead Oa, they never thought they could turn their prison into an ark. So boy, there's enough advertisements in the middle of this magazine between the me TV stuff with Sven Gulli and the almost like the old hostess ads. <laughs> so now we now we move now we move backwards to day three. And day three, we we have uh, Hal went to Warworld to deal with Mongol. 
uh, Mongol and Belzebeth are having their conversation from 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 their flagship down to Warworld, and she and Mongol of course rejects their offer, and he's he's being typical Mongol asking, kind of flipping them all the bird, and he's all you know he's all proud because you know his this 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 scorpion like creature is seemingly having the best of Hal Dark I mean Black Star Parallax of course, and. It's just a lot of banter and threatening banter back and forth with with Mongol and the and the Black Stars and Mongol thinks the black you know he, he's able to destroy the Black Stars and of course that's not really the case. Belzebeth and company are are pretty much in in flight heading towards War World because they were not actually destroyed and Hal can we kind of found out that Hal's not exactly as helpless as he is against Mongol's Mongol's pet. Belzebeth says rain death. I can't. Belzebeth, you have to admit she's got character. <laughs> she has personality. She kind of she kind of grows on me a little. Um, so Warworld is like she said, literally death is rained upon Warworld, and 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 Hal is uh you know Hal's kind of observing all this, and Mongol is brought to his knees, and then we're supposed to assume uh, that basically she's kind of like literally sucked a lot of the life out of Mongol, and drained a lot of his power to try to get you know to get. The gift that she wanted, which was Warworld, and to get Mongol to kind of like uh, like everybody else to jump on board one way or the other, because she says she plans to remake him. Now we're down to day two, and now we have some an interesting little um, twist here because we find out which is new and and, and there's some there's some rem, remnants of whatever the the real reality here. I think Hal kind of there's moments where the real reality with Hal starts bubbling. Through because he tends to remember stuff about the Green Lantern Corps and Oa, even though she tries to insist that that's, that they have been destroyed like a long time ago, and now we find out that oh, that because she's the only one who could basically deliver Muse uh, vision in case anything ever happened to him, that she's she's the second in command and she and and basically they're supposed to consolidate power between Hal and her, so she's supposed they're supposed to get married, and when and and on one level, it looks like Hal's kind of like a little taken aback by this. Not just because maybe he's caught up in the "Oh my God, you care about me," but I think there's also a little bit of Hal. My my interpretation was maybe a little bit of Hal saying what relationship really. And we get onto control the moves, personal transport, and basically there's a whole lot of we see a lot of the green a lot of the Green Lanterns who have been. Uh, or some Green Lanterns in, in this group, it looks like. But mostly, we see a lot of black stars, and we see all all this all like this paradise that that, that is all con- controller Mu is created, and and everything he wishes comes into being, and and they're yada yada yada. And then it kind of it basically it basically ends where Belzebeth says, you know, even as I dress you, my consort. So Hal's not even her husband; he's going to be a consort. <laughs> but you know what I mean. That uh, she goes. He's he's go, he's gone to basically prepare my wedding feast, and you hear a dam, and he's looking down at Earth, and you basically he's looking down at the uh, at the United States in particular. And now we're on day zero, and it says to be continued. Um, that sums it was, up. Uh, art was good. Yes. I mean, it 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 follows, and it and it it kind of. I don't want to say wraps up because this is only issue one of three, but it follows and picks up on a lot of the threads from Green Lantern season one. Don't um, say that word. Don't. So, 
I mean, that's what they're calling it. I, I, don't, know, I don't But I, I just refuse to get on board with that because that's so much bullshit. For oh, every see, it's like a TV show. Come on, give me a break. Of all the years where they've been putting out comics, now every year, every year's worth of issues is supposed to be a season. I don't know. I'm sorry, that's a personal pet peeve of mine. But go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> um. So yeah, I. I, I I, I had one thing because it, it threw me off. All the, your, your first page of this, she says this was Controller Moo's ancestral home. Controllers, Guardian Zamorans. Here is where they all began. Observe the planet Oa. It wasn't Oa. It was Maltus. Um, so Mr. Morrison, who claims to you know do all ton ton of research, bring a lot to the table, and and all this stuff is is already doing a misstep from the first two panels. Now, if he's saying that they began on Maltus and then Oa is where the controllers, the guardians, and the Zamrons were born in terms of they splintered off from each other after moving to Oa or something like that, then that's something maybe we could get behind if he's making that small adjustment or clarification to their past history. But if he's referring to how they began, how the species began and the planet they were born on, it's Maltus. It's not Oa. Um, so uh, I don't know. That's maybe that's a nitpick. Maybe it's not. But if it's Morrison writing it, I feel it's worthy of a nitpick because he likes to do all the digging and crap. So um, thought I'd bring that up. Um, it was cool seeing Roxayum's daughter uh, or child or whatever. Um, just to kind of a, a nod to the five inversions. Uh, this is. Obviously, something new, something different, uh, an extension of that. Um, they're talking about the what is she? She refers to them as uh, oh, what does she refer to them as? The uh, night something, right? Yeah, the night. Uh, yeah, I just I, I said it. I'm just trying the the night kind. Yeah, the night kind, uh, which references. Um, I think she refers to them twice, actually. The night kind and then something else uh, with the word night in it. Um, but yeah, uh, what did she say? Yeah, uh, Weeping Night Aeons. Yeah, I noticed that the uh, the the Grand Aristocracy, the Weeping Night a- Aeons, yeah. Yeah, so uh, back in issue 11 of, uh, of, Green, of the Green Lantern, um, Zonernell was uh, talking about how the Eternal Night was fast approaching and stuff like that. So, um, could you know that's just another tie-in here, talking about these guys and and this this stuff that's going on. Um, my my here's my whole problem with this, and I I, I don't I don't you're gonna you see Jessica that could be Simon that could be uh, that could be John. Um, you see these. Uh, Night Aeons, whatever, conscripted into this. You also see Kilowog. Uh, you see that some of these um, uh, continents being moved into place on day three are surrounded in red light. And uh, during in the same panel, she mentions Atrocitus. So yes, that was like, like one of the few references we have gotten to uh, your any of our old school uh, emotional spectrum friends there. So this is just uh, just saying that this is this is taking place not just with the Green Lantern Corps, but you know uh, this is uh, everybody's essentially conscripted into the uh, Black Star uh, Army. Uh, the whole stuff with Mongol that was cool, uh, and, and again, like I said, the art really stands out in a lot of this. 
and the various designs and, and directions that uh, that the uh, they chose to go with it artistically. Um, I think you know Hal looks cool and every and in the panels we see him in, even the close-ups of his face. So that's interesting. But I, my my whole thing, my my problem with this is, and I and and don't get me wrong, it, it was well told. It's it's following the storyline that that's been building for the twelve issues of uh, Morrison's first uh, part of this run. I'm just going to refer to it as a season. Uh, that's what they're referring to. It's just easier that way. I'm just going to do with that. Um, the, this first season of the Green Lantern. Uh, so this is following in the footsteps of that. Um, so there's nothing wrong with that. He's following the story he's been laying out for 12 issues. Uh, and, and, and the art is great and it's, it's not like he's veering off left course or anything, but you're putting this out in a, in a title called green lantern and then black stars. I have a feeling that if Morrison had it his way, the title would have just read black stars which, would, it, which the, would make sense because originally we were they were when they were marketing this they kind of said oh there'll be a book next month but there won't be Green Lantern in the title because we we kind of talked about that so I think somebody you're right I think somebody at DC had cold feet about well, we better make sure we better make sure people realize this is a Green Lantern tie-in yeah and that's what I was gonna say um, sorry uh, <laughs> just 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 for just for marketing reasons I'm sure that they 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 forced them to put it on there but at the same time. Uh, regardless of whether, regardless of who made the decision to put Green Lantern on the title, Green Lantern is on the title. When I pick up a title that says Green Lantern, I expect to read about Green Lantern. It could be Hal, it could be John, it could be an alien. I don't care. Uh, I don't pick up a Superman book hoping to read all about, you know, whatever. What you know, I, I don't pick up uh, a, a Doom Patrol book and not expect to read any Doom Patrol. Uh, I pick up Green Lantern because I want to read Green Lantern. I know what they're doing. I know this is a continuation, as I said, of Morrison's story that he's been working on for these twelve uh, past twelve issues of the series, and and so on and so forth. I know it's going somewhere, and then after these three issues, we'll have uh, assuming uh, the Green Lantern season two, and and there'll be more Lantern related stuff. We'll. I have a almost return to status quo. I'm, because Morrison is Morrison, I know that this uh, the end of this, the there will be implications moving on into the second season. Uh, so it's not like this; these three issues are just going to wipe the slate clean and he'll start off with a new season. There's going to be um, lasting ramifications because that's just the type of storyteller Morrison is. That's all well and good. I'm not faulting him or anybody else for it. It's just... I, 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 as as good as the story could be, as much research as you could put into it, whatever. In this particular instance, in this particular context, I just don't care. I've read reviews of this issue online. Um, one of my favorites came from AdventuresInPoorTaste.com, uh, and gave a nice breakdown and referenced some of the other stuff, um, some of the stuff we mentioned, even the controller, uh, Moo and, and the Golden Lanterns Undernell and all that other stuff. Um, but at the same time, uh, if you read it just by itself on its own, that's fine. That's great. You enjoy the story. You enjoy the art. You enjoy the, that's, that's all one thing, but I can't help but place it in the larger context and in that specific side of the coin i can't i don't like it I, I i'm sorry i i do not care this is my this is my view this is my view on this and this is and obviously diff, 
different people like stories told in different ways, and and I don't have enough. I've always made this clear. I I don't have a huge background with Morrison, as in reading Morrison stuff. Just generally speaking, I think the only book I ever read that Morrison was regular on was uh, back when he was doing JLA, and that was a long time ago. Uh, so I can't speak whether this is 100%. This is Morrison being a great quote of Morrison being Morrison, where he. Well, this is what we can expect going forward. A lot of these things where we're always thrown in in the middle of a story, and and we don't really. And there's so many things that are we're, we're clueless about. And then when you're lucky and you get to the end, you'll you'll have the major the major questions might be answered, but you're still going to have probably like 30% at least of what you you were confused about, and you're still going to be confused because it's just not super important to the big story. But I don't know. I I I have an issue because this follows the pattern that we've seen in the last bunch of issues of the Green Lantern that you just kind of get dropped in the middle of stuff, and I think it's more frustrating because of the fact that that's not how. That when he began the book, it wasn't that bad. He didn't give us as much of that, and we also know after he seemingly, you know, he wrapped, quote unquote, wrapped up the the stuff of Control the Moo in the like in the first six issues or so. Then we had a bunch of standalone issues or a bunch of straightforward issues, like the Mirror Widden stuff and different things that were, rel- I mean, they were relatively easy to follow, and they were enjoyable stories. And now, over, probably over the last four or five issues, we've really been going into. He may not be full Morrison, but he's getting he's dialing up to probably like eight or nine sometimes. And I I find this frustrating because reading a story should not be this complicated. You should not be lost so much of the time. You should be enjoying reading the story. And I'm not saying there's nothing in here to enjoy. And we've already you mentioned the art before I was I was going to do that. You mentioned the art. Your art was excellent. In fact, it was so good. I, you know, I, I would have to say, not that I'm not, not that I'm not looking forward to him coming back, but I didn't really miss Liam Sharp at all in this issue. I didn't. I, I'm not saying his art wouldn't have been good in this issue. I'm just saying that I, it wasn't, it wasn't like a quote-unquote substitute artist. And you go, oh wow, that quality really dropped off, and it takes me away from the story because I don't like the way it looks. No. And I, when the stuff with Bel, with Belzebeth and Hal, I liked the fact that you know this is related to what the wishing machine. You know it is because Hal was the will that made that made the, the basically the wish you know, the wish and the plans come true. But yet there seems to be that part of Hal that knows this is not really reality or it shouldn't be reality. And those little bu- those little things bubble over. And prob- I'm assuming we're going to get more of that in issue two in issue two heading into issue three. But it's getting frustrating because I'm not enjoying reading enjoying reading this. It's not it's not because I don't think there's interesting stuff with Controller Moo or the or the Black Stars. Or I will admit now that we've been going on like about two straight years of Black Stars and Dark Stars, that's starting to get a little old too. Because uh, basically the last year of Venditti was pretty much all dealing with uh, the Dark Stars, which arguably up to this point conceptually was a better concept. I'm not saying all of them were more interesting than Belzebeth and Controller Moo, but the uh, but the nature behind what you know Tomar and that incarnation of what the black the dark stars were going to be, I still think there were there were there were better stories to be told about that moral ambiguity about which side is actually could be right in that debate, and but it's it's getting it's getting me frustrated. And I was actually looking forward to this issue because I thought because in a way we were getting a clean slate. 
because we knew this is kind of like an alternate universe or an alternate timeline that I was actually looking forward to what we were going to get. And I, and I was, and right off, and the thing, and it gets, and because literally on the third friggin' page of the book, now you're dealing with all these things, and yeah, you, other than the stuff related to the inversions, you know, it doesn't do anything for me. Uh, it's like, it's just, when, and we've seen a lot of those issues lately, where to me that just kind of sucks the wind right out of the sails to begin with, because you're trying to figure out what the hell's going on, and who the hell are these people, and am I going to have to go back and Google, try to, you know, Google or Wikipedia some of these guys to find out, you know, am I supposed to know who they are? And that's more work than I want to be doing for a book. It's not because I'm lazy. It's because it shouldn't be necessary. You know, it just shouldn't be necessary. And if it's not really – and it may not be a big deal on this issue because we may never even see the, you know, the, see these characters again in the – in this maybe other than seeing a few drawings of them, they may not be play any role in this in this miniseries. And maybe we'll see them down the road because Morrison doesn't do a lot of throwing, throwing stuff out there for no reason. But it just – I don't know. It's it's really frustrating, and this is and this is why how I started this, bringing it full circle. And this is the way he's going to continue to be on this book, where we're constantly going to be thrown into the deep end, and and we're going to have to be trying to tread water just to get some explanations, and that's really not going to work for me. That becomes more and more of a chore. And the sad part is, I know. I know a lot of the stuff isn't like him going full Morrison, where it'd be like, well, I just want to put the, put the book down and say I don't care. It's not that quote unquote bad, but it's not enjoyable either. It's like it's make, and I don't know that those those are those are those are my initial initial thoughts. I, you, you hope that it's gonna you hope that by the third issue it'll be more enjoyable because in a way it's got to make more sense of what happened at the. Because it's got kind of heavy lifting. Because it's got to make sense of almost what happened in, the, in like the last few issues of the, of the Green Lantern too. About so because Control and Moo had been all friggin' out of the loop for like about you know four or five issues at least before they brought him back in. I don't know. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I like the writing. Sometimes it gets a little too uh, too heavy, too too verbose. I don't know. You know the the. The creative writing aspect of it gets a little too too much uh, with the, some of the dialogue he likes to throw in, like Belzebeth's mouth and things like that. But uh, uh, the art was good. The layouts were good. The fact that it followed up on the the first season, the, uh, the uh, so on and so forth. It's 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 so weird to me to have an enjoyable book for, if you were to break it down into its component pieces. But still be so irritated and frustrated with it. Night spawn. Um, Night spawn, by the way, was the other term that they used. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I agree. Yeah. It's just yeah, I just Morrison is, and I think Morrison himself even knows this that that he's a he's a divisive writer. Uh, I don't really know anybody who's just like tolerates Morrison. They either love him or they hate him, and I I, I don't. It, I almost feel like it's becoming a pattern that we don't like a lot of the lantern stuff that's been coming out lately, uh, and not not just with Morrison. It's just you know we weren't that that keen on the the Green Lanterns series. Uh, and we got a, we enjoyed it a little bit more towards the end, but it still wasn't overall the best book. Uh, Venditti's run on Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps. There were some positives about it, but we we were largely negative on on, on some of the things uh, that were there. 
So just it, you know, it, it doesn't seem like you're excited for the whole far sector thing. It just it 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 almost seems like we're coming across as well. We just don't like anything lantern related, and and that's that's not the case. It's just. This is this is this is not the 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 itch I need to scratch, and it's it's not like Jeff Johns is the one that's going to fix it because he's not. And quite frankly, I'm irritated with Jeff Johns as well. Uh, you know the the whole the the stuff that's been going on with uh, with uh, Doomsday the Doomsday Clock, yeah, with Doomsday <laughs> Clock and its delays, and that's not that's not new, by the way, guys. Uh, there have been significant delays on books from DC in the past, and a lot of them were Jeff Johns' books. Uh, so it's not like the man can't tell stories anymore or anything. Uh, he's just telling stories either A, I'm not interested in, or B, take way too damn long to tell to begin with. And we can't put the whole fucking universe on hold for Jeff Johns to get his shit together. Uh, so no, uh, this is not a Jeff Johns apologist thing. It's just there's... This is this is a, this is a good book. It was well written. It was well laid out. It followed up on the stuff that was happening in the in the main series, and the art was good, and so on and so forth. But I'm, it's not a Green Lantern book. It's, there's no Green Lanterns in here. I'm sorry. That's what I read the book for. I get that you're going down this tangent, and I get that if you had your way, it probably would have just said Black Stars. But it doesn't matter. It's a Green Lantern book. Because of because of this story you want to tell for three issues, we don't get a Green Lantern book for three months, and that trade off isn't worth it to me. I'm sorry. No, I think I think that's legitimate too. I think that the fact that we're basically not getting not getting a Green Lantern book just so we can have this alternate reality pseudo multiverse version of a universe without because it's not it's not even a in a way it's a little misleading too because it's not even a universe where the guardians and the, and what the core never took place because i think because i they're th- just wished out of existence right because i think she, even Belzebeth acknowledges that they did exist uh, when i thought this originally was being solicited as a, a world in which they maybe they just said they don't exist not that not the fact that they didn't exist but i thought i i read something that made it sound like they never existed uh, but either way, it's, I mean, it could be a good Hal Jordan character piece, and that's something that you kind of, I'm going to keep my, trying to hold that hope for. Speaking of which, speaking of which, now that I said that, did it strike you at all that, that she used St. Walker's line? <laughs> in this book? All will be well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm sure there'll be absolutely no payoff for that, but I, but it struck me as like, Wow. Not just because it's clearly you know a blue lantern, but mostly a Saint a a Saint Walker line. The fact that of all characters, Belzebeth would be the one saying it. Um, and I like her. I think she's a really interesting character. I just uh, I, and I I agree. I mean the the irony is sometimes it's like everything else is like you don't know, you don't don't know what you had till till it's gone. It's like I'm as on a in pure enjoyment level, I would I would go back personally, and I know most people won't, but this is my honest opinion. I would rather go back and still have Green Lanterns monthly and have the Venditti run on Green Lantern, Hal and the Core, than this book. I would rather read those books than this book. 
and it's not because there aren't good things in it, and, not, and it's not like there haven't been good issues in it, but this whole take on where he's going is not really the book I want to see. We talked about this long – and what's really weird is – I mean you give him, I'll give him credit for this. It's not boring. I'm not bored by this book. And when they first announced that whole police procedural and space thing, that was like, oh my god, this book is, is going to be so damn boring if they do it. it is and how you traditionally think of a police procedural that this was like, oh wow, this will suck the, be suck the life out of the readers, or, or at least part a huge portion of the readers, because that sounds boring. You know, Green Lantern CSI to me sounds friggin' boring. But that's not what we've gotten. We've and I don't. And in a way, it's like I don't really see this as much of a police procedural at all. I really, although maybe in the very beginning, I don't see that at all in this. So I don't. I just think that this is not my take on this. And some people like it because this this is like the counterbalance, I guess, to all the, all that time when we've gotten we had gotten so much about the emotional spectrum and. Things of that nature, and then and now we have the complete opposite, where you know this book is other than now. I mean, he, they did mention Atrocitus. That other than that, we're getting like no direct ties into any of the. And they, I mean, clearly they mentioned the Zamorans too, but the separate cores. That I mean, he's he's basically avoided all the other cores in the emotional spectrum, like the plague, uh, which is understandable to a certain extent, but. So some people who hated the emotional spectrum will say, wow, this is a breath of fresh air because, my God, we've had over a year's worth of stories not dealing with that. Mm-hmm. But to me, I don't know. To me, because maybe that was the peak of of, of when Green Lantern was so big, it, maybe I have some ties to it. Plus, I like the expanding of the mythology. And we have this I, – I don't know what it's going to take to really get me – to get me and I would say you to a, to a certain extent too pumped for Green Lantern. Again – I don't think Far Sector is going to be good, but I am. I, I'm more after reading this. I'm more interested in reading that. Um, yeah. Because that could be that at least could be a book that could at least be that could be it could be interesting even if you don't necessarily like what you know or don't agree with everything in it. It could be potentially interesting, but we'll have to but we'll have to see. But I just hope. Using I'll, I'll I'll acquiesce for the moment. I just hope season two of the Green Lantern is is a little better than the, like the last four or five issues we've gotten. Not counting the annual because the annual was good, but of the act of all the other Morrison the last four or five issues, I have not particularly liked all that much. And I just hope whatever story he's going to be telling primarily in season two or beginning in season two, I just hope. I hope it's a little bit. I hope it's a lot more like like the first six issues we got of of season one than the way season two ended and in this uh, Black Star miniseries. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I I don't know why I get so apologetic about being negative about things because, it, you know, and and you know what? Frankly, it's it's been several years. We might as well just say it. Well, that was, uh, and I don't know if you remember this, Mark. Do you remember the other Green Lantern podcast that was like the the core spotlight or something like that, or whatever that was, the Green Lantern core that that podcast? Oh, from their web, from their website, from the Green Lantern yeah. website. Yeah, I think they still, I think they still have it. I think they still do episodes. I think. Okay. I would be. And I don't have. Good. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. I don't. I don't have any. I don't have any particular issue with them or anything. I, I. I didn't listen to full episodes. I think I might have listened to like 
when they did like an interview or something here or there, I might listen to one of those. Um, but I remember when the Lantern cast was doing its thing, a lot of people coming over to the Lantern cast early on. This is this is not anything I'm taking credit for or anything. A lot of people coming over to the Lantern cast because the that show was being so negative on things. Yeah, because they and, they 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 are. And I'm on the forums there, so I and I, so I they are very 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 anti Jeff Johns and to a lot of people, not everyone clearly, but a but a, a huge vibe off that off that site is they are very anti Jeff Johns. They kind of think Jeff Johns is this even now Jeff Johns is his Godfather pulling all the strings in Green Lantern. They were doing that. They were convinced even during the Venditti run that that even though he was like crapping on so much of what Jeff Johns did and made no sense, but still. And they were not, and they were pretty emotional spectrumed out. So that group, that that they were, they were kind of like charter members of that group that probably were more than happy to see. I'm, and I haven't checked lately, to be honest with you, to see if they're overly excited. Oh, the consent, the vibe of people who post on that site are happy with the Morrison run. But I know they were, they were very, very happy to, to uh, have John's gone, and they were very, very hop, happy to start moving away from you know the emotional spectrum. Yeah, and I'm not faulting anybody. Like, this isn't like Lantern Cast versus no, them. No, not at all. Uh, I, I'm just saying I remember vividly as a listener of the Lantern Cast at the time, not even involved with the show in any way, other than sending in feedback. Uh, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> was 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 just the the amount of people that were preferring to listen to the Lantern Cast over their show because of all the negativity that was happening on their show. And now I feel like we're being, you know, negative so much of the time lately. You know, it's like, you know, people don't tune tune into a show to listen to you just hate on something every episode. Uh, but that's then again, that's why we try to do other stuff. Uh, Kyle's run or, or earlier stuff from the Silver Age or I mean, you know, take your pick. Because, like, you know, uh, we, we want to show we are Lantern fans. We love the, the character and the concept, and we don't just want to put out shit that's, that's negative all the time. But let's face it, there's enough negativity on the net, whether it's audio, video, or just typed. Uh, it's basically all that's out there. So we, it's not like we want to contribute to it or anything. It's just like, I, I'm sorry, I'm not going to – look, it, you know how awesome it would be to have, like, Jeff Johns come on the show or – Grant Morrison or somebody like that, that would be a huge get. Uh, and, and, and I'd be thrilled to talk to them. I mean, just, I mean, for, forgetting my, my opinions on the, on the, on the actual content of the stuff we're reading. Morrison's a fantastic, uh, presence in the, in the comics community. He's a big fan. He clearly does his research. He tries. So like, you know, when, when we think back on the big names in the past, uh, of of comic book history, it, it, twenty years from now, Morrison's going to be one of those names that people look back on and remember. So I would love to talk to him just for it, but I'm not going to sit here and talk up the and and, and just uh, pretend like my negative thoughts on this series don't exist, just for the sake of hopefully getting an interview down the line or keeping the one listener out there, the two listeners, or how, whoever it may be. It feels like we're being too negative or, or whatever all the time. I, my entire thing is as much as I want, I, I love this show and try to 
you know, uh, work with work with each other to build up the audience or, you know, do different types of stuff and, and all the stuff we, we want to do and try to do with the show and, and the listener base and community base. I, I, I'm never going to I'm never going to sacrifice my honest opinion on something just in service of that. So I'm, I, I hate it's It's such this dichotomy. It's this catch 22 that I find myself at war with every time I feel like we're just going down these negative paths for several issues at a time that I don't want to do because I don't want to be overly negative. But at the same time, that's my honest opinion. So, like, I don't know what to do anymore. <laughs> no, I, I mean, trust me, I get I get where you're coming from. And I, and I feel that way, too. I don't want I don't want to be primarily negative. So that's why I want to, you know, give the devil their due and I, even that expression. But you know, the idea that, you know, the art was really good. And, and I, I've been the first one that has said over and I've said this repeatedly that. Even though I'm not happy overall with this book, it's still better than I thought it was going to be, which doesn't sound mm-hmm. like a compliment, but it is. I thought with the combination of the concept that was being pitched and the reputation of Morrison and a few other things that I've read of Morrison, especially uh, Final Crisis, which I despise, uh, I really thought this I was going to hate this book. And again, you go in maybe with lower expectations, it helps, but I, there are things in this book that I, that I like, and I think – and I give full credit because you know Hal Jordan was never a character he was particularly fond of or thought very highly of, and the fact that he had a concept that he you know that he that made Hal Jordan appealing to him, and that he there was something that made him want to write a Green Lantern book. Now, yes, one could also make the case that there hasn't been that much of that it's a Green Lantern book barely because Hal's been in it. But in the core, few members here and there pop up, but it's been so all over the map in the way it's been that it's it's certainly it's certainly an atypical Green Lantern core book, and it's not really it's not really been a police procedural like we talked about the way one would conceive it. That it's so it's but I I you know I give credit where credit's due, and we talked about it when when Morrison got the book that on paper this is the this is the biggest name at the time that they got the book. Writer Green Lantern has had him forever, and you could have make you could have made a case that Jurgens was pretty bit of, big if Jurgens wasn't basically just coming on to do an arc, which was unfortunate. But he just came on to do the final arc of that book when everybody knew that we didn't at the time, but but when he had agreed to come on, that book was already going bye bye. So, but you know, he's bigger than Jeff. He, you know, he's certainly bigger than Jeff Johns was at the time. Jeff Johns. Uh, started doing anything related to Green Lantern. He started becoming big and he obviously had, had you know he did you know the whole how becoming the Spectre thing that was that that was that was Jeff Johns. But until Green Lantern rebirth, you know, you know, hit it out of the park and then Green Lantern started started with him run, running it and Green Lantern Corps launched at the same time and before that research, you know that that rolling into Infinite Crisis into Sinestro Corps War into into Blackest Night, you know that was what that was the Jeff Johns at his peak of of his reputation and, and the vibes. But Morrison probably had, when he got this book was probably further along certainly I think when, than Johns was far from a rep, from an industry reputation uh, perspective and certainly from a fan recognition perspective too. So that was pretty big that we you know we got Grant that we got Grant Morrison. Uh, you kind of knew, for better or for worse, that if you were expecting more traditional Green Lantern stories, 
that just wasn't going to happen with Grant Morrison writing it, probably because that doesn't really have an appeal to Grant Morrison, which which is fine. I mean, and Grant Morrison has the he has the clout and he has you know the power to basically pick and choose a lot of a lot of what he does. So if so, they who know who knows exactly how it went down. Whether I mean, we, I mean, we kind of did get a story that kind of just happened more or less by accident. He him was having a conversation, I think, with Dedeo to end up getting this book. But it's it's certainly it's certainly not like you know DC was at the, begging him to take the book, and it's not like he certainly was begging DC. Oh, I want to do Green Lantern, which I'm sure they would have given it to him no matter what anyway. But the fact that the fact that there was enough. There was a character arc and or stories to tell that he thought which would make a Hal Jordan-led Green Lantern book interesting to him. I think that's cool. And I know it appeals to some people, and some people love it. I think My, My, I think Myron's a bigger fan than uh, than we are of, of this oh. series, of this run. And that's, and that's fine. I mean, and... And it's not like... It's sort of, it, there's, it's, there's nowhere... It's nowhere near the, the, the toughest book we've ever read as far as... Or the toughest era that we've had to go through. I, I, I don't think that's I don't think that's the case. I think it, I think it just gets magnified because we don't have much of anything else to read right now. Yeah, uh, you know, Far Sector is again that's a, that's technically limited too. Is that like a twelve issue series? Yep, twelve issues. So that's that's so that's so that's only so that's only twelve. So we only have one. But we know technically, haha, we don't have any current real Green Lantern book ongoing. But we know we really will have one regular Green Lantern book ongoing, and uh, and all the other Green Lanterns are scattered in a supporting role, except for Guy, of course, right? That are scattered in supporting roles in other books. It's a pretty down, it's a downward uh, time frame, and it's and it's kind of a it's kind of a bummer too. I think I think it, there is a certain bummer to that aspect, and maybe that does influence us uh, just a tad. The idea that um, that this that this is, and again, I feel bad about saying this because we be beating a dead horse. And I try, I'll try not to say this at all in 2020. But this is not, you know, this is kind of a hard time to be doing a Green Lantern podcast. This is not, you know, this is this is a very difficult time. Uh, so we we try to do what we can, and we try to cover what we can, and we try to be as positive as we can. But if the material, you know, really doesn't pump us, we're not going to. You know, I don't think, and I don't think people would want us to really to say, "Oh yeah, we love this," because then you're kind of like a sellout or a sycophant if you're just saying you like something, just to, you know, for for whatever reason, just because you feel like you need to, or yes, because we're hoping this will increase the odds that we can get this person on the show or that person on the show. We're gonna say, well, you know, we're gonna try to be objective, but we're gonna give our opinion on things, and I then and. and that's just kind of where we are with this book. Maybe maybe the second season in quotes will be better, and I'm hoping it's going to be. But it's but I'm getting I'm getting the this is not my trilogy Star Wars seven through nine vibe. I'm definitely getting that vibe so far off this run this Grant Morrison era that this is not going to be my Green Lantern era. That this is not going to be a time frame that I'm going to enjoy while I'm going through it and I'm not going to miss that much when it's over <laughs> but that's how I feel now it could change yeah 
All right. Uh, so next few episodes, we're going to have Far Sector to review. We're also going to have the Tales of the Dark Multiverse Blackest Night uh, issue to review. Those actually both come out on the same day next week. But Mark is going to be out on vacation um, next week. So no, no no new episode unless we come up with something. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, you know, there's there's things we could cover. I need I, there's a series out called Batman universe and how Jordan appeared in an issue of that and all sorts of things, but likely just be prepared. We may not have a, a new episode next week. Um, but when we, we, when we come back, we'll have far sector. We'll have, uh, the dark multiverse stuff. Uh, maybe those will be one ep- episode. Maybe there'll be multiple. We don't know. But one thing we did want to say, uh, one of our episodes before the end of the year, uh, probably in the month of November, maybe, will be a Q&A. So if you guys have questions about Green Lantern, uh, just, you know, maybe maybe you're new to the property or new to the series and you have questions you want us to, of things you want us to clarify. Uh, maybe you just have, uh, who's your favorite Lantern sort of question, whatever it may be. Uh, general questions, specific questions about the property, the characters, about us, about the show, uh, whatever you want, go ahead and send those in to us and... Um, We'll answer those in one big episode. Uh, we'll continue to put the call out for that uh, in the episodes leading up to that, as well as on social media. So if ever there was a time to send in feedback, now is the time, because that's going to, to determine the length of the episode you get from us. If you, if only one of you send in a question, guess what? You're getting a five-minute episode. So uh, that's uh, it's completely up to you, folks. Uh, so, Mark, if they want to send in some stuff for us. Uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Lanterncast at gmail.com is the email. Uh, our website, of course, is lanterncast.com. The voicemail is 708lantern. We've kind of had a a lack of voicemails lately. Uh, we've had a lack of feedback lately, but voicemails in particular. Uh, yes, Corwin, when you catch up to this, probably in December, we were calling you out again. <laughs> um... You can follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook, hashtag GLCast, to locate us on those. We are on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher, so please leave us a positive review on whichever platform you listen to us on. And after this sucker ends, I have a – which went on longer than I thought. Hopefully it's not as – I'm always paranoid I'll be rambling, but I tried to stay on point because I had an outline. I will be giving a spoiler-filled, even though I will start off not immediately going into spoilers. I will give a preface – before I go, uh, before I go down that route, that road or that route, I will be doing a review on Terminator Dark Fate because I saw that Sunday. So that will be following the credits on this. Sounds good. All right, guys, we will talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.
and all that jazz. Yes, uh, another Terminator movie. So Mark Marble from the Lantern cast. So we're going to talk. I'm not sure how long we're going to talk, but we're going to talk about Terminator Dark Fate. Um, so I just I just saw it on Sunday. Came out last week. And obviously, this movie, like a lot of movies these days, controversial on some levels, and also another movie that has obviously underachieved. So we will talk about that. Yes, there's going to be spoilers in here, but first, at least I'm going to begin just going over, even though the trailers pretty much gave most of this away. Uh, but I'm going to go with a mostly, you're trying to anyway, a non-spoiler-free, I mean a spoiler-free uh, plot wrap-up before breaking down. Uh, the specifics of this movie and the good, the bad, and the and the controversy, and we'll talk box office a little bit too. Uh, basic plot, like I said, the trailer pretty much tells you this: uh, that another an advanced Terminator comes back to try to instead of killing John Connor this time, Danny Ramos is the character played by Natalia Reyes, and she is the one who is being targeted. Mackenzie Davis's grace has been sent back to protect her. She's human, but she's augmented, so she's kind of superhuman, but with limitations, as the movie points out and shows. Sarah Connor, who has been hunting Terminators, gets basically gets made aware of this the the impending arrival of this new Terminator, and they end up joining forces. And down the road, of course, they meet up with a T-800 by of Arnold, who's kind of time lost, and that. And we get an explanation for that, which we'll talk about in a second. And, of course, they all end up protecting Danny from the Rev-9. And, of course, at the end of the day, the Rev-9 is defeated, as you would expect in a Terminator movie. Pretty much every Terminator movie, except for Terminator 3, which at least you have to give credit where credit's due. That was a really good surprise ending. Kind of goes against the mantra of Jim Cameron about no fate. Uh, No, the future is not set. No fate but what we make for ourselves by implying that uh, Judgment Day was inevitable. You could only push, you know, kick the can down the road. But ironically, this movie has an element of that too, which is a little uncameron like So that was the basic plot of this movie, dealing with now going into some specific plot points, which are kind of hard to ignore, which is, you know, so serious spoilers going forward. Many people have heard about this to begin with because this was an, a poorly kept secret. And people kind of suspected something was up, and this is where Jim Cameron, uh, Cameron's got to take some responsibility for this because he's the one at at a Comic Con in San Diego who announced that Eddie Furlong was coming back as John Connor because John Connor was uh, conspicuously absent from any of the uh, marketing. So it was kind of a that kind of made people a little more excited to figure out what his role was going to be in this movie. Though again, because he wasn't shown in any of the marketing for this movie, it made it kind of gave people pause. But before the before the movie actually was released, the, you know the 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 spoiler or the rumor came out about how, what John Connor's role was in this movie. And yes, if you've heard the rumors and if about what was supposed to happen, everything you heard is pretty much true. The beginning of the movie picks up a few years after after the end of the last movie. Uh, Terminator 2, I should point out. Terminator 2. This is much like the... Terminator has become the like the Halloween franchise now, where depending on the way you view it, there's multiple, multiple timelines going on. Uh, so depending how you connect the dots, you can say these two movies or maybe three movies happen, or just these three movies or maybe four movies. It's, it's convoluted. 
So in this timeline, T1 and T2 occur, but nothing else happened after it, which is kind of what Genesis did too. Genesis only acknowledged the first two movies. So a few years after Judgment Day, as after they just prevented Judgment Day, Sarah Connor and John Connor are, I think, hiding out in Guatemala, and John Connor approaches this this girl, and it's a young John, relatively young John Connor too. So it's kind of like it's so it's not just de, not just great de aging, and this probably I would have to point out is the best use of de aging technology I think I've ever seen so far. Sarah Connor looks Linda Hamilton looks exactly like she did in T2. And even with being able to do what they did with Eddie Furlong to try to make him look like he was more or less maybe like a year or so older than um, he looked the last time we saw him. And, and, and what they did with the with Arnold is this is the best CGI Arnold that we've gotten so far because we've kind of had three incarnations of that. We had the very rough one in Salvation when they just did his face and they purposely knew that either it was too expensive to do it or they, they weren't happy with it. So that's why they had that T-800 get burned real quick so all his flesh came off. And then in Genesis you had the recreation which was pretty cool of the, of the entire arrival of the original Arnold Terminator in 1984 to be met by the, pop, the Pops version who had been waiting for him along with Sarah Connor, an, an adult Sarah Connor, that this is the best CGI version of Arnold that they've gotten so far. But another T-800 who the explanation is given that a T-800, but basically they Skynet sent back a whole bunch of Terminators and through different at different points. So this was not, this was not like another T-800 that just got dropped off now. This was a, one of the, the Terminators that got sent back before Skynet was done away with by them altering the future. So more or less that Terminator was sent back to that time and that was that was a designated time he would be sent to and boom. By luck of the draw, this T-800 just guns down John 1, 2, 3 and then just kind of walks off. And this T-800, as we find out later in the movie, is the Carl Terminator we've seen from the trailers. And this... And this but before we go too much into that, one of the big controversies and one of the big things people don't like about this movie is what they did with John Connor. Because in a lot of people's minds, they say, well, it's kind of like spits in the face of Terminator 1 and 2. And it completely makes the events, they say, of Terminator 1 and 2 irrelevant. Though I only think it's partially true. I think it does kind of spit in the face and it's a character that has been arguably the most important character, even before he was born, the most char- most important character in Terminator mythology and you just dispose of him just like that. So I can see the slap in the face aspect of it. I don't necessarily think it was, it makes the events of T1 and T2, it makes it all, oh, what was the point? Well, the whole point was, originally John Connor had to survive so he could lead the humans to victory in the war against Skynet. And then by the time you get to T2, you have John Connor, Sarah Connor, the T-800, and Miles Dyson that prevent the rise of Skynet so John Connor would never have to be in that position because they do succeed in changing the future. Skynet does not exist. Skynet does not exist in the future. So they did f- so you can't say it was for nothing because they did save all those people from from Skynet and John Connor's role has now changed. And which would be a weird way of not saying it justifies them killing him when they, how they did because they could have had him have a different role in this movie and they still arguably could have killed him off. But psychologically, that'd be kind of a weird burden to have to carry around knowing that you were supposed to be before you basically played around with time. You were supposed to be the Messiah, the savior of mankind. And now because you changed, you changed history, you changed the future, you really 
It's like you could how, – how is your life ever going to match that? I mean what can you possibly do in your life now other than having the internal satisfaction of that you changed the future? But in practical terms, that's kind of – that would be an interesting kind of burden to carry. But we will, we'll never know in this timeline for multiple reasons since there will probably never be a sequel to this movie that the reality is that John Connor's killed off and Sarah Connor – that's the last we see of Sarah Connor for a while because the, most of the movie focuses on the Rev-9's arrival, Grace's arrival, and then the attempt to kill the Danny Ramos character, who is destined to be, at first, even though it's not, Grace never says this, Sarah, when she gets reintroduced, just assumes this based on her own life experiences. But they try to mislead us into thinking that she's supposed to be the next Sarah Connor and basically be, give birth to the next Messiah when the reality is in this future, Danny Ramos herself is basically supposed to be John Connor. Because for some... Even though Skynet is defeated, we end up because it's... because it's I suppose because we're human beings and kind of what the, Arnold said in T2 that kind of it's our nature to destroy ourselves that we always have to keep tinkering with things and we always have to keep coming up with more advanced AI and we have and we ended up creating something called Legion which essentially is Skynet just by a different name and acts the same way and eventually takes over. So maybe it is just so while on one level this would seem to go against Cameron's mantra about the future is not set because in a way it echoes Terminator 3 that you can change some of the small things or you might be able to kick it down the road but eventually these things are going to happen. Even though one could say, well, it's a different name, so technically they change things. But, but again, it could just be a reflection on it's the it's the nature of ourselves to just it, we're going to destroy ourselves no matter what. So it's almost inevitable that we're going to have to deal with something like this down the road. Kind of like Alexa, destroy Canada. Okay. Kind of like that. Uh, so when Sa- Sarah, as I mentioned earlier, Sarah arrives because of the fact that she gets she had been getting tipped off. Anonymously, the different Terminators were going to show up at different times because I guess of the, the the waves of energy that get sent because of the time dis, uh, dispersal field uh, that somehow it's able to be recognized by at least so, someone is able to be recognized in advance so she'd be able to be tipped off. So she arrives you know, at a key moment which we've seen in the trailers when the Rev-9 is on the verge of killing Grace and Danny and that's when she enters into the enters into joining them. A lot of the movie is spent, you know, trying to avoid, you know, the Rev-9, which you would expect. Grace has coordinates tattooed on her, which in case she's, supposedly in case she's in trouble, go to this location, which if I remember correctly is Laredo, Texas. And Grace is able to essentially hack into uh, Sarah's cell phone and able to find out the location of these anonymous texts even though they're encrypted where they're coming from, and lo and behold, they come f- they're from the same location. And we eventually find out, not surprisingly, that who the same person that Grace was supposed to seek for help and the same is, the, is, the, is exactly the same person that's been tipping Sarah off for years about new Terminator showing up is actually the T-800 Carl, who was the one who killed John Connor. And because he had, he had no more purpose after he succeeded in his mission. So, which is an interesting concept based on people too, not just from machine perspective with programming, but people. If if you only have one goal, if you only have one purpose ever, and you fulfill that, and it's over with, then what do you do? 
So it's an, it was it was a concept that probably could have been developed better or more, but I liked it. I kind of liked the fact that we're supposed to believe that basically this Terminator over time, not only he needed a purpose, he eventually helped protect this woman who was being abused, I think, by by her ex. So he takes it upon himself to protect her. That, that was his new purpose, and he ends up marrying her and helping raise her kid. And it's not, it's a non-physical relationship, but they, but you know, but that basically he he has learned over the years to become as human as he could. And which raises a question, which I, I, it's kind of interesting because I was in a kind of not an argument, but dealing with people online on one on a thread today talking about that. Somebody pointed out, well, you know, dogs are supposed to go crazy, you know, when Terminator's around, and, but, the, you know, but you see this, you kind of saw the scene in, the, in I think, one of the tra- trailers or the snippets where you see Carl sitting there in his chair, and he basically, he's, like, he's got his, he's, t- you know, he's t- petting or has his arm on his dog, and the dog's not reacting at all, and I believe there might have been something similar in Terminator 2, not as blatant, but I think in T2, when they were in the desert, they may have been a, have a dog out there when that was not really reacting to Arnold's T-800. But even in this movie, they have they have the dog Taco, Danny's dog, react to, to the Rev-9 when the Rev-9 shows up at her house. So I think what they were trying for, whether you accept it or not, is another story, that the more human a Terminator becomes, the less disturbing they are and the, less, and the signals that get sent off to the dog, the less unnatural it seems. Someone pointed out, and this is probably true, but I haven't seen the original Terminator in a while, that they actually talk about this specifically, how there's something about the smell of the artificial skin or the that sets dogs off. So if that's the case, they needed more, if that is accurate, that they needed more of an explanation for this. But I do, personally, I can I can buy that the term, that it has to, that intent factors in somehow, because if it was just the skin, when you think about it, then why would like the T-1000 and, all, and, and other models that are not, organic at all why would they set off a terminator if, if if there wasn't some aura being put put out by this by this uh killing machine if there wasn't some aura about it that the dog picked up on them why would they react to something that wasn't skin flesh and blood and you know living tissue to begin with like pat robert patrick and and t2 so i i this was actually the most human terminator that we've gotten more than the one in t2 more than even the one in genesis even though, because Genesis, while he had been living, he'd been living there longer. The reality is, he and Sarah Connor were essentially like in hiding. So she, she kind of, in a way, was more. He, she was trying to rub off on him a little bit, but in a way, he rubbed off at least as much on her. So it wasn't them trying to completely fit in, which is what this T eight hundred was trying to do. Carl's draperies. Nothing about it. Nothing about it. Like a Terminator uh, doing your drapes. That, as always, Arnold is really funny in this, and so I. So just generally speaking, with this movie, I I actually I don't think this movie is as bad as a lot of people are making it out to be. I don't think it's as good as Genesis, but I happen to like Genesis. I've said this when we did when we did a review on the show. Or I did the review on the show about this. I really like Terminator Genesis. I like the point of where they were going with it. I think there's a little bit of irony to the fact that a lot of when this when Genesis came out, a lot of people were talking about how you know, uh, Cameron seemingly gave a thumbs up about what the movie was about, and he liked what they were doing with it. And pe- some people said, "Well, you know, if Jim Cameron was ever going to do another Terminator movie, we could see him doing something like this." And uh, while yes, J- James Cameron did not, you know, was not, you know, the writer director on this Terminator movie, 
he was a produ- only a producer. The, I think there's a little bit more than a little irony to the fact that he is involved in a third Terminator movie, and yet I think Genesis seemed more like something he probably would have done back in his day. So I like Genesis, and I liked... So I, I actually like... I would say this movie to me is... It's not. It's near the bottom of my Terminator movies, but I think it's better than Salvation. Salvation is the one I like the least. Salvation to me is the one that stands out the most because it, like, which one of these, one of these things is not like the other. So Salvation is that one because Salvation is the only one that doesn't involve time travel, and Salvation is also the one that really goes off the rails. I think focusing on this closed loop idea in. Which again goes against the uh, the whole Cameron mantra about no future, but what we no no fate, but what we make for ourselves. The future is not set, because of the fact that that John Connor was so obsessed with. Oh my God! If Kyle Reese gets killed, everything falls apart. When again, that's really not what should have happened. Because if you look at the whole concept, and you look at the way time travel works, especially when you think about it from the End Game perspective, but even before having End Game as a example. John Con- there had to be one original timeline where John Connor's father was other than Kyle Reese, or else John Connor would never have existed as a contemporary of Kyle Reese to begin with to send Kyle Reese back into the past. He has to exist to begin the loop at one point, so he has to already exist. So it, I, I, I thought that was the stupidest thing. Oh my God! If Kyle Reese, you know, if Kyle Reese disappears, and oh my God. Uh, so I like Christian Bale. I thought he was one of the better John Connors we've ever gotten. Certainly the best adult John Connor we've ever gotten. But I don't. I didn't like Salvation that much. Plus John Connor wasn't the focus of that movie, and that role was only beefed up after Christian Bale came on board, and or they knew they could get Christian Bale. But that part was supposed to be really small, the John Connor part. I liked it, but I didn't love it. And I could see some of the criticisms that people have about this movie. Uh, first and first and foremost. The plot is nothing new. Whether you call it Legion, whether you call it Skynet, it's still the same thing. In the future, machines take over. They wage a war against man. A you know a savior, a messiah rises up, and they send they send a killing machine back into the past to try to wipe out the messiah before the messiah ever gets to that point where even though they don't really play up the fact, I don't believe in this movie how Legion is about to be defeated, and. This is their less. This is like their their hail mary, because that's what that's what was happened with Skynet. Skynet was losing the war. They knew they were about to lose, which is why they sent the T eight hundred back in the first movie, and we kind of get that gets revisited in Genesis when uh, John Connor, who this version of John Connor, who now knows all this stuff because of Sarah, that he knows that you know this is the moment in time that they're gonna that the T eight hundred is gonna be sent back. So there isn't the same aspect of, oh my god, they're losing, so they have to do this. But it's still the same basic plot. And that's and they send a single warrior back to protect. So there's nothing new under the sun here. We've seen this movie, literally, we've seen this movie before. So I can see that, you know, that is, that part of the criticism I can see. I mentioned the John Connor stuff. I can absolutely see why people didn't like the John Connor Death. They could have made him in the movie, and he still could have died. But maybe he could have gone, basically gone at. He could have been the one going out, s- sacrificing himself to save Danny. So basically, almost like passing on the mon- the uh, mantle of the chosen one to the next person. Because in a way, this has kind of become like the. To me, is another uh, world in which machines have taken over. 
Though, of course, if you watch the Animatrix, you realize that at least the machines were clearly the victim and that uh, rise to power. That This is like the Matrix, that in a way the Terminator franchise, even though it's probably dead now, has kind of become the Matrix, where it's like it's in different, it's different incarnations, same threat, maybe slightly altered, but there's always but there's always a chosen one that rises that's supposed to either stand up and maybe eventually lose to the machines, but certainly to rally the resistance against the machines. And Danny Ramos basically takes over for John Connor. But there's nothing new under the sun here. And again, you know, it's like let's let's come up with a T800. Let's have, because people love Arnold and they love the T800 model. But then, but then let's wipe out the T-800, which was one of the cool things I liked about Genesis, is because they didn't. They were smart enough to keep that Terminator that we got to like in that movie alive for the next movie, as opposed to having to figure out, hmm, we're probably going to have to fit, fit a T-800 in this movie somehow, which is even harder now, because Skynet's destroyed. He literally had no future, and he was freed from Skynet no matter what, because Skynet was never going to exist. He was basically a relic from a timeline that no longer existed. You would have to have another time time lost Terminator that somehow still existed. Or they hadn't discovered yet, which of course they could do. They kind of opened the door for that by saying, you know, Skynet sent back a bunch of different Terminators. There could have been another T-800 that was originally sent, you know. But but we are getting closer and closer to the real timeline, which is maybe another reason why they had to wipe out Skynet. We're getting closer and closer to the events of, of where the future war was supposed to take place in the original timeline, even altering it. I think I got altered a few times, like, but that, so it gets kind of dicey about Skynet sending people back, but the Terminator's back. But I, one of the things I liked about Genesis was Genesis was, and I feel sad for Genesis because it was the only one that, there were a lot, every single, the last three Terminator movies all were supposed to set up new trilogies and they all pretty much failed, but Genesis was the only one that basically had, gave you the hint at the end with the after credit scene of where of potentially what was going to happen, but yet you didn't. The future was literally a blank slate because all these characters that might have been time lost, or actually, arguably, the Terminator wasn't really time lost anymore. He got sent back originally, but he has basically been living his entire life going one year at a time because only Sarah and Kyle end up jumping in through time in that movie. Again, Kyle does it more than once, but. But even uh, Sarah does it once to jump, I think, to 2017, I think it was. But you have no idea what's going to happen next because nobody has a knowledge of what's going to happen now. No, there's Kyle, you know, everything Kyle Reese knew about the future is shot because the future's changed. Everything Sarah Connor knew was about to happen from from Pops and everything else, that all changed. So they, they had a complete blank slate of where to go. So I think that's kind of uh, – that's much more sad about that never being continued and picked up on than this movie. Uh, so I think I think the marketing for this movie wasn't good. I don't think the I don't think the trailers made it look all that interesting. The initial teaser trailer was not particularly impressive. It certainly didn't. I it certainly did not make people say, "Oh, we really need to go see this movie." What what we're watch, what we have seen in this trailer is just really impressive enough to we 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 must see this in in the theater we did not get that and i think that hurt i think it really 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 hurt this hurt this movie i don't think tim miller helped the movie the director by kind of following the bad marketing decisions of the 26 i think it was 2016 that ghostbusters remake of doing it like a preemptive attack on your fan base 
by saying, oh, you know, if, if everyone will like this movie or like this character unless basically you're a misogynistic troll and things like it's like attacking your fan base is stupid to begin with, especially since the major the the bulk of the Terminator fan base is male. And nobody and nobody had a and nobody had a problem with Sarah Connor being a strong female action hero, just like nobody had a problem with Ripley from the Alien series being a strong female character. So there isn't anything there isn't there isn't this, you know, oh, the man baby's afraid, that kind of garbage. Why you know if the character's well developed, it doesn't matter if it's a male or female, you can root for a female character. People love Sarah Connor. And when and nobody complained, and you you didn't hear that kind of rhetoric when Terminator Genesis came out about oh Sarah Connor is like they make it's like oh you know she no one's gonna like this they didn't like this movie as much because she was a tough action hero because how could you make that case because we've already seen that character different actress but we've already seen that character and and you know Sarah Connor never really stopped being a woman she was just really buff and really and she was dedicated to what her mission was and even the Amelia Clark version kind of followed suit with that so there might have been some criticism with this movie that at least with, especially with the Mackenzie Davis character they really don't have her I mean Mackenzie Davis is an attractive woman so she's always going to look like a woman but they they kind of go out of their way to make her dress like a guy though they explain it in the movie they kind of try to explain it by oh she measures up you know, her shoe size against a guy in the beginning of the movie, and he mu- and he must be we are supposed to assume closer to her, you know, her height and everything else and her size, so he, that's why she takes his clothes. But I believe the same thing happens later on at, at the detention center. I think she also takes another, given the option, she takes another guy's clothes. Which again, they kind of give you a reason for it. You can say based on her height and everything, but I don't think it was subtle. I think they were trying to at least throw in that curveball, whatever the message was, even if it was, oh, we just want to change things up. Either way, I think, I think that you know they were trying to send a message there, and even Danny Ramos, the future Danny Ramos, is not overly feminine, but you can almost kind of get away with that because you know it's it's a post-apocalyptic time. The younger Danny Ramos is very feminine, but I saw, but but overall, I don't think the, I don't think that's really fair. I think I don't a, a fair criticism why people didn't take to this movie was because oh, it's so many female heroes. I think more people were upset because of what they did with John Connor, and I think that probably is a reason why. But I don't think the market—I don't think the marketing helped at all for this movie. And I think that was—I think that was a big part of the problem. The box office is dismal. It made about twenty-nine million dollars, which is a little bit more than what Genesis made. But Genesis came out a bunch of years ago, so adjusted for inflation, Genesis definitely makes uh, makes more money. Uh, I don't, you know, and, and Apple's. An apples to apples comparison. Uh, Genesis also ended up making about four, close to 441 million dollars worldwide because it was really saved by China. Didn't do much domestically. Didn't didn't even make 90 million domestically, but it did make 350 or almost 351 overseas. This movie is not doing well overseas, and it didn't do, hasn't done well in China at all. So there's no reason to think it's going to have legs. So the irony is, people were so quick to jump off the bandwagon in 2015 because because Genesis did not do as well as they probably thought it was going to do or hoped, and they decided, oh, we're going to scrap these series of movies and do a reboot again, and and look where you ended up. You ended up with yet another reboot, which is going to be even less of a, which is going to be an out and out failure. Genesis probably Genesis probably squeaked. Uh, to make money or just about break even because the budget was 155 million on that movie. So if you follow the traditional formula of doubling it, of doubling the box office, 
that's what you would need to break even. It probably did end up either making money or if it didn't, it was it didn't lose money. Depends how much money they spent on marketing. But the movie did make about four hundred forty-one million, so it it made a it's going to end up making a lot more money seemingly than this movie is going to make. And I think that pretty much means that this franchise is dead, and maybe it should be dead. Maybe, as some people have pointed out, maybe this should never have been a franchise. Maybe it really should never have been a franchise. Maybe there just was never enough there. Maybe the story really legitimately ended at the end of T2. Even though T3 I thought was interesting and there were some cool concepts in T3. Nick Stahl was horribly cast, but T3 had a cool concept. And Salvation, no, I didn't like Salvation. And I, and I, and I will, I think Genesis, it's sad that Genesis, we're not going to see the continuation of that. I would, I would love to have seen where they would have gone with that. And But I think that's going to... I think that's pretty much going to be it. I would say it's probably like, to me, it's like a B plus. I think it's a B plus. I probably would recommend, if you're if you're a real Terminator fan, I recommend seeing it, but there are things in it you're not going to like, and again, it's not overly original, and it depends, a lot of it depends on how you feel about John Connor, and if you think John Connor is like the holy grail that you can't, that you can't really do anything with that, to John Connor, or at the very least... He deserved a better fate, no, no, no pun intended. Then that's some, Then you probably will have a hard time because I know a lot of people who didn't know that and went in and saw it. They kind of just sat like in shock, supposedly, for like at least a half, like a half the movie because they're trying to get over the John Connor thing. Uh, they do use that as a nice catalyst for have the Carl character trying to do everything for John and and giving Sarah purpose. One of the reasons she was he was tipping off Sarah was because he realized what it was like not to have purpose. And how important it was to to discover a new purpose. So he tried to give a purpose to Sarah, something to to in the wake of John's death, to, to, something to to make sense out of John's death. So I thought that was an interesting an interesting point. So I think that's going to be it. Uh, so again, this is Mark from the Lantern Cast. Sorry, this went on a little longer than I thought. It's about a half about a half an hour. So uh, if you want to give us your thoughts, seven. 708 Lantern, uh, lanterncast at gmail.com, and that will be it. So, hasta la vista, baby.